0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, good morning. As we continue in our invited series this week, I want to share with you about something that we have next week, next Saturday from 6 to 8 p.m. in Creekside Commons that is a really special treat. If you've ever wondered what the wise men actually saw that caused them to make this long and dangerous journey to King Jesus, Dr. Rick Erickson, who's one of our elders, he has been studying the Star of Bethlehem for over 20 years, and he's got a really fascinating look at a possible explanation for the Star of Bethlehem. So again, that's going to be next Saturday night. I know some of you have seen it. A lot of you are new. It's a great opportunity for your family to come. It's Saturday night, 6 to 8 p.m. in Creekside Commons. There'll be refreshment uh, provided. There's no child care, but everyone is, is welcome. Dr. Erickson would say that, that it might be hard to follow for folks under 10, but 10 and above, it's really amazing look. It's a great time. You might have family interested in Christianity. This is a fascinating look at, at one of the Christmas... Uh, highlights the Star of Bethlehem. So that's next Sunday, or next Saturday, rather, 6 to 8 p.m. in Creekside Commons. Well, today, we're going to continue in our invited series. Last week, Pastor Dave looked at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and how they were invited into the story that God was writing through his son and how all of us are invited as well. Today, we're going to look in Luke. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, to see how Mary and Joseph were invited by Caesar to Bethlehem. And what we'll see as we read is a a decree of Caesar, the house of David, and the birth of Christ. Let's read Luke 2, 1 through 7 together. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. God, thank you for your word and thank you, God, for how seven short verses can really tell a story of things that you were doing in history that turned the world upside down. So, God, as we look at them today today. Father, would you speak to our hearts, would you teach us truth from your word, and would you have us amazed to see that Jesus is the one that the world is looking for. In his name we pray, amen. Well, this is kind of just a plain telling. Luke is telling this story of the gospel for Theophilus, a friend of his, and he wants him to hear eyewitness detail, and so... He tells that this is when it happened. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus is a fascinating guy. He is a nephew of Julius Caesar. When Julius Caesar died in 44 B.C., in 43 B.C., Augustus became part of the second triumvirate of Rome, but by 27 B.C., he had defeated his two compatriots, the last of those being Antony, and he became the emperor. One of his biographers describes Caesar Augustus as unusually handsome and exceedingly gracious, which is how you describe a guy who could take your life at any time. He was about five, seven. His biographer says his eyebrows met in the middle. Caesar Augustus was the first unibrow. This this is my favorite statue of Caesar Augustus. Uh, He's shocked. They had just told him they were going to name a salad after him. He was really excited about that. Well, Caesar demands that there is going to be a census taken. And his friend Quirinius is the governor of Syria. And he's taking a census to tax everyone who is not a Roman citizen. Now there's some dispute about what happened here because there's a guy named Josephus who was a historian and he wrote that Quirinius was governor of Syria after Herod the Great died. And some would go, well, that's a problem because of course Herod the Great is the one who killed the babies in Bethlehem and, and Luke dates him at a time when Jesus was born, Herod's alive, that doesn't work. Obviously Luke is wrong, Josephus couldn't be even though he did get some dates wrong. But historians, as we've continued to study ancient history, there's another Roman historian named Tacitus. Quirinius is really close to Augustus, and he's governor of Syria twice. He's governor of Syria, becomes procurator, which is similar to governor, but procurator would be the guy who actually did the census. And then he becomes governor again, and and this is... The first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, there were actually two. So Luke's date works out just right in history. And Caesar Augustus is is an amazing guy. He's going to bring out the Pax Romana, which is peace for Roman citizens and occupation for everyone else. He's going to develop a tax system. He's going to develop Roman highways. But is he the guy who's going to bring peace on earth? Is he worthy of worship? See, in the first century, we found Roman coins that would say many thought he was. In fact, on the coins of, of the Roman Empire in the first century, you would see things like Son of God, King of Kings, Savior of the world, Prince of Peace, not about Christ, but about Caesar. But then this new group arose. People started calling them Christians, and they were worshiping both Jew and Gentile, spreading across the empire, this baby born in Bethlehem with great unity, saying he was the king of kings, the son of God, the savior of the world, the prince of peace, the Lord of all. And it was an affront to the Roman Empire. So there's a question in the first century of who people might give their allegiance to. It's the same sort of question we might ask today. But when you compare Caesar with the savior, there's really no question. Caesar did parade his power and he lived in palaces and this baby was born in an obscure village in a small area of the empire. Caesar sat on his throne for a few years Jesus Christ reigns eternally in heaven, and the earth is his footstool. Caesar ruled about 9 to 10 million people. Jesus is Lord over this growing multitude over two millennia from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, and it continues to grow. In fact, two college students from TBC are in India right now declaring that Jesus is Savior and Lord. Caesar did get a month named after him, right? August. But the dating system that the world hinges on is Jesus Christ. For 1700 years, no one knew of anything else other than BC before Christ and AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Well, secularists in the 18th century begin to change that to BCE before Common Era and CE. But the dates don't change. History centers around the birth of Jesus Christ. Caesar died in AD 14 at 75. His last words were, behold, I found Rome in clay and I leave her to you in marble. But Jesus is alive and at the right hand of the Father and some of his last recorded words are, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, we, we named our cheap pizza after Caesar, right? We, we call that date night pizza at my house. Not that that's what we eat. That's what we get the kids when we're going on a date. But Jesus, when you stop and think about it, not any other, he's the one we're looking for over all the world, and we're invited to life in him. People really did worship Caesar in the first century, but the folly of that is exposed. He was not the savior of the world. But the question remains, did, did people really worship Jesus in the first century? Some scholars would say, no, didn't Christians really start worshiping him after there were creeds and after there were confessions after about four or five centuries? But from the very beginning. Christ was called Lord. There's a a guy named Ignatius. He was born in Spain in AD 30. He died in 107. And here's what Ignatius said about Jesus. God, the word was truly born of a virgin. He clothed himself with a body of like passions with our own. He who forms all men in the womb was himself really in the womb and made for himself a body of the seed of a virgin, but without any intercourse of man. See, Jesus was the one the world was waiting for, not Caesar, and he came in the fullness of time. That's how Galatians describes it. Galatians 4.4 says this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It goes on to say so that he might redeem those who were under the law and we might receive adoption as sons. Yes, Caesar called for a census. But what happened was God was using all the political and social and prophetic indicators at the perfect time. Caesar and those before him were being used by the hand of a sovereign God to invite Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so that the curtain might be drawn on the world stage. For God come to earth, the long-awaited one. He came to the exact time and the exact place the prophets said that he would, and neither the leadership of Rome or Jerusalem could stop what God was doing in Jesus Christ. Even today, when political leaders and religious leaders try to snuff out the light of Christ, you just can't do it. In fact, when you think about, really, the epicenters of Islam, the epicenters of Hinduism, the epicenter of atheism, China, that has been trying to snuff out Christianity for the last 75 years. If you go to a shopping mall, In the UAE or Saudi Arabia, if you go to a shopping mall in Mumbai, India, if you go to a shopping mall in China, you're going to see small nativities all over the place and you're going to see Christmas trees. Even if you go into Iran, you'll see decorations. The light of Christ shines brightly. The world stops every year to recognize that Christ was born. See, part of the reason that Jesus is known through all the world is not just that he was greater than Caesar, but also he was a king like David that had been promised to the people of Israel. They had been waiting for a millennia for their Messiah. And so Joseph and Mary come from the house of David to Bethlehem, the city of David, to pay their tax. See, in 2 Samuel 8 through 16, God tells of a covenant he's going to make with David. And he says to David the king, your house, your physical descendants are going to endure forever. And not just that, your kingdom will never pass away. There's going to be a king on the throne who will be a Davidic king. And then God promises David that his throne would never pass away. A royal descendant of David will have a kingdom that would never end. He says it like this in verse 16. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So enter Mary and Joseph. They are both children of David's house. Both of the Davidic line. And so this baby that's going to be born is both son of David and son of God. Here is the spoiler alert of the incarnation. Novation, who was a, an Italian theologian in the third century, said this well before Christianity had creeds or confessions. He said, let them therefore who read that Jesus Christ is the son of man read also that this same Jesus is God and son of God, for in the manner that he as a man is of Abraham, so is God. He is before Abraham himself. In the same manner, he as a man is the son of David, so is God. He's proclaimed David's Lord. And in the same manner, he was made a man under the law, so God, he is declared a Lord of the Sabbath. And in the same manner, he suffers as man the condemnation of the cross. So as God, he is found through his resurrection to have all judgment over the living and the dead. And this is why Joseph and Mary and a donkey had 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, a little city, a village of 2,000 to 2,500 people that is swollen because of this census to 50,000 people. There are kids playing in the streets. There are cousins who haven't seen their cousins for years that are reunited. Teenagers are playing games that are ancient precursors to what we call checkers, whispering under their breath how awful this Roman occupation is. And as we know, the inn was full. And here come Joseph and Mary. In a lot of ways, it's a miracle that they even made it to Bethlehem. See, they they represent Israel in this, and that all Israelites were going to their hometowns. And many of them didn't make the journey. Many of them would have died on the way. Many of them would have had to stop due to sickness. There were lots of other pregnant ladies who had to go as well. Can you imagine what it was like for them. You go, you get engaged, and you have expectations. They had expectations, and this is not what they were expecting. My wife and I dated long distance, and then we got married. She had to live with me. She tells her bridesmaids all the time, you could have warned me. The the reality is, though, when we got married, in a lot of ways, I did not know how to be a man. Had to grow to learn that. And I had godly men who've helped me along the way. And after 25 years, she says, you're almost there, honey. (laughs) Listen, Joseph and Mary, you imagine the difficulties of a married couple, a pregnant lady, traveling and all the things that you have to put together just to go to the grocery store. And they're going 90 miles and all they have is a donkey. Joseph forgot the arrow press. The journey does not go well. The call came to an unexpected couple at an unexpected time in their lives and in a place the world would have never expected. And Mary gives birth to a son. And it sounds amazing to us. But can you imagine an angel announcement to a teenage girl And she goes and has to tell her parents she's pregnant. And her dad wants to talk to Joseph. And he goes and talks to Joseph and Joseph said, no, 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 I want to talk to Mary. And here's what happened. According to Luke, Luke says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed, the man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And then the angel says he will be great and will be called son of the most high God and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He's the one you've been waiting for and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is the fulfiller of the Davidic covenant. And Mary says, How can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, can you imagine this little girl, maybe 14 or 15 years old, (coughs) in a small village? Called Nazareth, and she gets this announcement Son of the Most High. (coughs) Excuse me. And he will reign over the house of David. Well, Joseph, who she's betrothed to. We don't know if it was days. We don't know if it was weeks. We don't know if it was a couple of months until she told him. He doesn't believe. And how in the world would he believe a story like this? And Joseph could have shamed her. He could have stoned her. He could have demanded the entire bride price from her family and had her put to death. Joseph doesn't do that, though. The Scripture says this. It says, he was a just man. He was going to put her away quietly. But then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. and said, do not be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. the most amazing thing happens. And then the scripture says this, Joseph, this is, this is what's happening. You've heard it from Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The angel says to Joseph, this baby that's going to be born is God with us. See, 700 years before, the prophet Isaiah had spoken of one who would be born of a virgin and Israel really didn't understand what that meant. And the angel says, Here's what it means, Joseph. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Here's the sign. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. The angel tells Joseph, this is that moment. And now Joseph and Mary are both the talk of Nazareth in all the wrong ways. And while a village quietly mocks and whispers under their breath, is this betrothed couple walks by here's what's about to happen the fulfillment that Isaiah has spoken of for unto us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father and prince of peace this will be the forever ruler Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What are you zealous for this Christmas? Every Christmas about this time, there's a pie that I get zealous for. And I will make room for it in the end on Christmas Day. You might be zealous for your football team to win its bowl game. You might be zealous for a zinger to give it right back to that cousin who gave it to you at Thanksgiving. God's zeal was to send a baby to Bethlehem that would turn the world upside down as both Lord and Christ, Messiah and God and this young couple from David's house are invited to take part in the story God is writing in the history. And so are we. So are we. See, there's there's one thing that we shouldn't miss about Joseph and Mary. As you think about them walking for months through the streets of Nazareth, and then when they went back home with this baby, Joseph and Mary bore the shame of sins they had not committed. People assumed things about them that just weren't true and they bore shame. And as they did, they were foreshadowing this baby who would bear the shame of the sins of the world that he did not commit as he was born and he would live tempted as we are without sin and he would die to bear our sins in his body on the tree and he would rise from the dead even in their lives therefore foreshadowing Jesus who rules over Caesar who is the son of David and who is the Christ. See Luke 2, 1 through 7, it It tells of the decree of Caesar. It tells of the house of David. And it, it in fact, does tell of the birth of Christ. She gave birth to a son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Jesus is the one who would save his people from their sins. The prophets had spoken and spoken and spoken about this one who would come. One of my favorite passages that that places the Messiah born in Bethlehem is Micah chapter 5. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 1 speaks of this ruler who's going to come named Cyrus. It's an allusion to him. and It says, now muster up your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the... and Cyrus is going to have a kingdom that's going to come, and there will be another kingdom after him, and another after him, and another after him, into which the Christ is born. And and then Micah says this, he says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days." So Micah makes this prophecy, and it's it's a bit confusing if you think when you read verse 2, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler. It sounds like a future ruler, a man who's coming. But then he says, who's coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Well, that sounds like God. Which is it? Is it Man or is it God? And the answer is that Jesus Christ is both God and man. In Micah 5.2, we have these rich doctrines of the Trinity and the incarnation. Augustine, this African theologian of the 4th century, said this of the incarnation. He said, the word of the Father by whom all time was created was made flesh and born in time for us. He, without whose divine permission no day completes its course, wished to have one of those days for his human birth. In the bosom of his father, he existed before all the cycles of the ages. Born of an earthly mother, he entered on the course of years on that very day. The maker of man became man. He, the ruler of the stars, was nourished. He the bread became hungry. He, the fountain, thirsted. He did this so that he, the light, might sleep, that he, the way, might be wearied on the journey, that he, the truth, might be accused by false witness, that he, the judge of the living and the dead, might be brought to trial by a mortal judge. That he, justice himself, might be condemned by the unjust. That he, discipline personified, might be scourged with a whip. That he, the foundation, might be suspended on a cross. That he, courage incarnate, might be weak. And that he, security itself, might be wounded. And he, life itself, might die. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. God is bringing about his plan through his son. And Micah says this of him. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth not ruler just over Nazareth, not ruler just over the house of David, not ruler over Rome, but ruler over all the world. He is the one they were looking for, and he's the one we are looking for, and he flips everything on its head. When we were studying this as a staff on Wednesday, Dave Tate pointed out that as you read this text, the baby turns the power structures of the world upside down. See, we start with the emperor. And then we go to the governor, Quirinius. And then we go to Joseph, an able-bodied man. And then we go to Mary, a pregnant teenage girl. And then we see a baby born. The least likely. And everything's turned upside down because he is Lord in Christ. He has a kingdom that has no end, and Jesus has been turning the world upside down ever since, and just as the prophet Micah promised, he is our peace. See, you'll be invited to peace by all kinds of people and all kinds of things this year. Just the right car. An iPhone Pro Max Fifteen, it will change your life until that battery won't work anymore. If the house is perfect, will you have peace? The world is profoundly broken, and there's only one who can bring peace. And here is the truth We ought to have a great time at Christmas. We ought to really enjoy ourselves. We ought to enjoy presents. We ought to enjoy the food that we eat, the family that we're around. But here's the reality. You you know it. You can have just the right food and just the right drink and just the right songs and just the right presents and still come away just as empty as ever. See, in, in Christ. If the turkey's burnt and the stockings are empty and Uncle Tim has hit the eggnog so much that we see way more of his personality than we ever hoped to. There can be peace at Christmas despite all the things that are going on outside of us. See, in Jesus, both people with everything and people with nothing can have hope and peace and joy and love Because Jesus, who will save his people from their sins, was born and died and has risen and he reigns. His empire is larger and lasts longer than any empire. His kingdom will endure forever. He is both Savior and Lord for all who would trust in him. So you and I, no matter if we've followed him for a really long time or if we're just considering him, we are invited This Christmas, not to buildings and events, but to Jesus Himself, to behold the baby born in Bethlehem who is our peace. Would you pray with me? God, would you help us today and would you help us over the next three weeks really to consider the right invitation? And God, would you? Awaken our hearts and awaken our minds and awaken our eyes to the beauty of this baby born who just utterly changes everything. God, would you make us to receive the invitation and to find satisfaction and life and forgiveness and freedom and peace in the Christ child. It's in his name that we pray today. Amen.